0: Inspired by Borussia Dortmund's code of values to never change their name, badge, colors, to never play their home games outside of Dortmund and to always prioritize the Bundesliga, we want to reiterate that we also value our fanbase and are working on exciting new ways to make it always feel like home. Uh, That being said, if any oil money should appear, we may delete any evidence of this statement. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet a new episode of the Anglo-Italian Pod. It's Friday, I'm Tommaso, and as always, I'm joined by
1: my friend and co-host, Mr... Me, Rory, I'm here again, it's that time, we're ready for the weekend, we're ready to talk about football, Champions League, all of the leagues, well... Two of the leagues. I'm ready. How are you feeling, Tommy? I'm
0: feeling great. Remember to follow us on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod, on Instagram at AngloItalianPod, and to give a cheeky follow to our favorite and one and only sponsor at Sports Club Maps. As Rory said, today we're going to talk about the Champions League Serie A and the Premier League previews for the weekend. And then we're going to jump to a very special weekly topic with our friend Luca to take a look at a very special page of Italian football history. Hint, hint. We are going to talk a lot about Inter Milan and I love it. Rory, how's
1: your week been? Enjoyed the Champions League? How are you feeling, bud? Um, yeah, my week was good. Tuesday, I kind of missed the football because I was out playing football myself. um managed to pick up a a war wound from a tackle. Do you know, like when you when you slide tackle on Astroturf and then it just cuts your knees up completely. Mm-hmm. um feels bad I kind of uh, yeah, I blocked a, I blocked a it was like a goal line clearance, I'm gonna say, but in midair, I kind of thought this is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. and now my right knee is just completely shredded. <laughs> um but that's good. I watched the football on Wednesday, and of course, today, Tommy, Juventus all or nothing finally dropped and I sat and treated myself to watch the first episode and I cannot wait to watch the rest of it. It's going to be absolute box office as these all or nothings always are. I've just seen one clip of
0: Bonucci trying to motivate the teammates in the locker room and uh, it's not how I expected Bonucci to be when he's motivating the locker room. He just has a very high pitched voice and not really the the attitude of a real leader. He's just like, guys, let's go back in the pitch. We're (laughs) going to win this game. That's the only option that we have. I was just like, ah, Bonucci, is that all you can do? You little slimy fuck. I did
1: expect, I did expect a bit more, but it was more inspiring than Harry Kane's like, all right, guys, what we need to do is win the game and score goals. It was definitely like more inspiring than that. But um, from the first episode, the first thing that jumped out to me was the signing of Winston uh, Western McKenney. It's brilliant. Now, the, the problem with this show is that I'm going to actually start liking some of the Juventus players. So already, I like Chiellini, right? I've always liked Chiellini. Now, I like him more just from seeing his personality. And there's a bit where he's kind of trying to eat lunch with Western McKennie and he's talking about, oh, we have great food in Italy. You know, do you like pasta? Do you like pizza? And then <laughs> McKennie just turns around and he's like, yeah, I really like pizza, but do you guys have ranch dressing? You should put ranch dressing all over this pizza. And all the Italian players just look at him. They're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what? It's like this huge culture clash straight away. And he's talking about how he prefers burgers to pasta. I thought... Just be more American, West. If you can, just be more American.
0: You guys go around with any guns around here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because i got to feel my trunk. Yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to take a look. That's going to be a nice little... I don't think I'm going to religiously sit, sit down and watch it. But I feel oh, like there's going to be a few moments when I'm like, what can I do? Oh, look at a shitty event season all through the cameras of the Amazon Prime camera
1: crew. Uh, mate, I um, I am gonna sit and watch it religiously, and already now I've made my views on Nedved known a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think I'm really gonna despise him by the end of the show. He comes across as such a bellend. <laughs> like mate, he comes across done, as such a weird, weird guy. Um, I feel like. He only popped up a few times in this episode. And I was like, I don't like you. I don't like you. And what I did enjoy as well, last, last thing, was Aaron Ramsey just popping up in the background. And in the first game, he sets up a goal for Ronaldo. And without getting on my soapbox, I hate how much shit Juventus fans give Ramsey because he's one of my favorites. And just to see him in the in the documentary is incredible. It's like, yes, Rambo, go on. <laughs> What's the narrator? Is it always Tom Hardy. Um the well I was on Italian
0: Amazon so it was all in Italian. I was all in Italian. Okay, I'm curious. I'm curious. By the way guys, absolutely unrelated, but if you want to watch something fun on Netflix, tier Along the Dotted Line. <gasps> It's an so Italian. Good. Did you watch it?
1: We've started it, we've not finished it yet.
0: Ooh, it. Just get ready. It's going to get a little teary up in there, but it's a, it's called The Tear along the dotted line. It's by an Italian comic author named uh, Zero Calcare. You can find it also in Italian, of course. The title is Strappare lungo i bordi. Mm-hmm. It's an animated series. It, the entire thing is 1 hour and a half. They are 16 minute long episodes. A few are shorter, a few are longer. A lot if you want to understand Quite a few things about Italian culture and how our generation. He's ten years mm-hmm. older than me, but I could relate on so many levels on the things that he was saying. Enjoy it. There are also a few football references. He's from Rome. Um, he depicts Lazio fans as kind of like the the ignorance <laughs> that he kind of like steers away from. Uh, but in general, it's it's a lot of fun. Watch it. But I believe that now it's time to actually talk about football and jump to the Euro review. Up, 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 and away goes the Euro review blimp after match day five of this year's Champions League. Hell of a lot of talking points. We have so many, and so we decided to kind of go step by step from Group A all the way to Group H. Rory. Where do you want to start from? I'm not even gonna ask you because I just said it literally. We're gonna start from <laughs> group A. Where let's start from group A. That's a great idea. Where <laughs> a man named Christopher Nkunku, one of the pod's favorites, just cannot stop scoring goals. But RB Leipzig win 5 0 away at club Bruges. They are now on even points with the Belgians. What are these two teams fighting for in their group? Of course, for a Europa League spot. Finally, RB Leipzig were able to win their very first game in the competition, despite having scored as many as 13 goals, but also having conceded exactly 13. Rory, I think that with Christopher Kunku, we are witnessing one of those stories of a great player that changed positions throughout his career. He was a midfielder when he got to Mm -hmm. RB Leipzig. Right now, he's full-on a striker. The guy is relentless.
1: Yeah, his scoring record's ridiculous. Um, so he got another brace. He's absolutely killing it, as you said, for a team that have just picked up their first three points. And like we've been waiting for Leipzig to arrive. We've been waiting for them to wake up. They're kind of not doing that well in Bundesliga this year. They're down in seventh. Like They're definitely having a rough year after N- uh, Nagelsmann left, right? We've been waiting for them to leave, to arrive, and finally they have. Of course it was going to be him that scored. I read a story this week that um, Emery was really, really keen to bring him to Arsenal, but we ignored him. Slightly annoyed about that now, but... Seven, <laughs> seven goals
0: and one assist in five games this year in the Champions League.
1: What like and it's weird. Like the only reason people aren't talking about him is because Leipzig haven't been doing well. Like if they were getting wins, if they were getting draws, then he would be like a headline alongside Sebastian Haller. Not alongside, maybe slightly behind him, but like close to Haller. Um, he's having a great season, and another player that's kind of coming off the conveyor belt at Leipzig there, and they find themselves in third, and they're going to be joined by. Well, they are. They could be joined, if they make it, by another German side that we're going to get onto, I'm sure. But I was looking at the Europa League, and it could become quite German team-heavy. So, yeah. Leipzig are currently in third, um, Wolfsburg can still finish third, and Frankfurt and Leverkusen are currently top of their Europa League groups, and Borussia Dortmund have now basically confirmed Europa League spot. That is going to be a very German-heavy tournament. I think that's quite an interesting... I'm I'm not sure if you ever see that many teams from one country in one competition. Like,
0: That's like six or seven teams. Yeah, I was noticing the same thing. Uh, Well, this is because the Bundesliga is a highly competitive league, despite Mm -hmm. having one of the best teams (laughs) in the world that annihilates the competition completely. Uh, The last game for RB Leipzig is, of course, going to be played at their home in Leipzig against Manchester City, while Club Bruges will have to travel to Paris uh, to try and uh, score at least one point to try to overtake RB Leipzig. Of course, uh, I can expect kind of a defeat for both teams, and so I can see RB Leipzig going through to the Europa League. For what they have shown on the pitch in this Champions League, I definitely think They deserve it a bit more Mm -hmm. than the Belgians. But let's move on to the big guns, always in Group A, where we can see Man City first with 12 points and PSG second on eight. Last night, they played each other in Manchester. PSG took the lead at the 50th minute in the second half with Mbappe, but then Sterling and Jesus put a signature on the comeback. Rory, take us through the game.
1: It was a great game. It was a really good game. I felt like the first half, Man City had lots of chances, but PSG managed to take the lead. Mbappe now has scored. There's only 22 players in the Champions League that have scored more than him, and he is 22 years old. I thought it was quite an interesting stat. It was a a beautiful night, like beautiful finish, Nutmeg, Dedison. He did his nice little kind of arrogant celebration, but then... I think it's almost that arrogance that kind of lost them the game Um, because I do not, in a weird way, I do not envy Pochettino. He has to try and manage Neymar, Mbappe and Messi. And those three players refusing to track back and refusing to get in like, put a shift in with the defensive work is really what cost PSG the game. Like, we know that, like, when you've got Cancelo and Kyle Walker uh, as your wing-backs, there's lots of pace, lots of ability there. You're going to need those two players for them to go past. And there was just no one there. It was leaving the PSG wing-backs far too exposed and City eventually they're going to get those goals. They're going to take their chances and they were creating lots of chances. City were really, really impressive PSG. Now in the last seven months have lost to man city more times than they've lost to French teams. They've lost to man city three times and French teams twice. So they must be sick to death of city now. Um, But talking about the wingbacks, Cancelo had another beautiful outside of the foot pass. Unfortunately it wasn't finished, but it was an incredible pass and Kyle Walker, I wanted to give Kyle Walker a quick shout out. I feel like he's slightly underrated. People, um, people, yeah, they, they talk down how good he is technically and how good he is defensively. But there was a moment where I think it was Mbappe had the ball and he looked at Kyle Walker and he just didn't even want the foot race. Like Kyle Walker is still rapid and he did a great job of keeping him quiet. And I think City are just hitting that. Like this time of year, they always kind of, they start season slow, and then they start to hit efficient mode. And I feel like they're just hitting that efficiency. And the other side of Christmas, they're going to be at full pelt. And I, I think you can just slowly see them starting to hit it now. And PSG just, you can't defend with seven players in the modern game. You need 11 players to be defending, especially when you're playing one of the best teams on the planet. And I think that's basically what it came down to. Um, for Pochettino, Nothing. he must be sick to... It's a, It's a difficult job managing all those egos, right? Agreed 100%. Uh, this makes it interesting
0: for the other groups because right now, all of a sudden, it's like, ah, either I finish first or second, I will have a chance of drawing either PSG or Man City. <laughs> yeah. But we kind of knew it all along from the beginning. Yeah. Let's stay in England, but let's move to Group B where Liverpool overcome their opponent Porto at home with goals and an insane goal. Yeah. Like, Thiago Alcantara. And Salah, they win 2-0 in the second half. They seal the deal compared to their opponents in the group. They just walked past it. Five wins, zero draws, zero defeats, 15 <laughs> goals scored, five conceded. What do you think about that Alcantara goal? I saw it so many times, man. I mm. love that the ball just like is in this trajectory, and <sighs> it's, it could go in that direction until forever. infinite, really, yeah, forever. Yeah, it yeah, just yeah. came, boom. If there wasn't a goal, it wouldn't have sucked.
1: The The angle from behind is absolutely beautiful, but it reminded me of like, you know, when you're a kid at the beach, you used to like try and skim stones and see how many times it would like bounce on the water. It True. like it kind of had that weird trajectory where the ball was just kind of skimming off the ground and just it bounced just before the keeper. Really, really beautiful goal. Again, another player that I think people were very quick to be like, oh, guys, are wasting money. What are they doing? This guy's been crap. He really is an absolute Rolls-Royce of a player. And Liverpool now have more points than the other three teams in their group combined. And They have absolutely killed the game. And I think any team that's going to come up against them in the Champions League in the knockout rounds is going to be shitting themselves. The efficiency with which Liverpool get over blips, like and how aggressively they do it. They had a blip against Brighton and West Ham, and they go out and win 4-0, 2-0, efficient, bang, done, we're back on track, forget it. Like, it is that first 11 they've got. I, said, I think I said it on the last episode. It's the best first eleven in the Premier League for me. And now they can afford to rest for the last game, right? And it just means they can fight on more fronts. Just really impressive from Liverpool.
0: And in two weeks' time, the mighty Reds will travel for the first time in their history to the San Siro. Of course, it's not their first time, but it's their first time playing in the San Siro against the AC Milan, it would be Klopp's first time at the Sincere. He said that he's already very excited and it's a very humbling idea. But that game, uh, do you think AC Milan will be able to overcome their opponents after, uh, after winning in the dying seconds of their match at the Vanda Metropolitano to overcome Atletico Madrid? The goal scorer is, of course, star of the moment, Junior Messias the guy that you should read the biography of every single day in case you think that it's getting too late in your life. Guess what? He teaches us that it's never too late. Rory, I know that you got emotional when you saw that goal go in.
1: It did really, honestly, <laughs> the things that affect me emotionally, 90% of the time is football, but the, it was his reaction. It was his celebration and knowing what we know. So I think it was like four years ago, five years ago, he was delivering for, delivering furniture, playing in Serie D for Grozzano, I think it is. He finally got his move to Serie B at 28, plays in Serie A at 29, 30. And it's just this beautiful story of this guy who just, like you said, never gave up on his dreams. And the, the celebration was beautiful. AC Milan's first win in the Champions League since Tonali was 13 years old. Wow. Wow. Incredible. And
0: now AC Milan, all of a sudden, have a bit of a lifeline. Now, we can get, I mean, you can just pull up your your, your phone and look at the standings. AC Milan are going to be playing Liverpool at home, while Atletico Madrid are going to have to travel to Porto. Now, Atletico Madrid, only one win in this group this season, one draw and three defeats. Things are not looking bright. As things stand, they are even out of the Europa League territory. But this is going to be a hard-fought battle in the last game, uh, in the last match day, because Mm -hmm. Porto, five points, AC Milan and Atletico, both on four. Everything will be decided at last. Rory, who do you think is going to go through to the Champions League round of 16, and to the Europa League?
1: Well, I think it all depends on whether Liverpool play a full-strength team. I think they are going to rest a few players, um, but then it's whether that makes a difference enough for Milan to win, because we've seen that Liverpool, when they do bring in some of their replacements, they do still manage to win. I think, look, I'm going to say... I'm going to say... Oh, God, it is tight, isn't it? I'm going to say... Milan go through because they get something against Liverpool and Atletico continue to disappoint. I can see Porto beating Atletico.
0: You can see Porto beating Atletico and I agree with you. Um and so AC Milan would if they get a point even against mm-hmm. Liverpool or if they if if they lose but Porto win they would go to the Europa League. Only time will tell. Um it's sure nice for AC Milan fans to finally see a win in this Champions League which is their favorite competition. Now, let's move to Group C, where there is a little mm, storyline that I kind of want to discuss together with you, Rory. There was a player named Erling Haaland. I don't know if you remember him. Ever heard the name?
1: Uh, yeah, somewhere it feels like I've not heard that I've not heard that name in years. Yeah, you
0: haven't heard that name in years. Now, this uh, young Norwegian man who plays for Borussia Dortmund uh, broke a record in uh, Champions League uh, history. He was the first player ever to score as many as eight goals in five in his first five games in the competition. Now. This record is overtaken by Mr. Sébastien Aller, who scores as many as nine in his first ever five Champions League games. Now, last night, Ajax were playing away at Besiktas. They went down one goal in Istanbul, and it's not pretty when that happens. Through a Gizal penalty, Haller comes in at the 46th minute. He equalizes Eight minutes later, and next thing you know, 69th minute, he makes it 2 1 and breaks Haaland's record. Are we witnessing the beginning of something big, or is it one season that is going this way, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, I, I'm really not sure because at Frankfurt, he did really, really well. And then the move to West Ham just didn't work when you got the feeling kind of fairly quickly that the the team, the atmosphere, the place, everything just wasn't working. You know when some players just don't match to where they are. It's great that he's got this move to Ajax, and I don't think anybody saw him having this explosion. He's French, right? So it's another option up front for France, which is just infuriating. It seems like they could just forever there will be world class French players at this point. Um, but what a start he's having it, and for Ajax, they are absolute like they've walked this group stage. Um.
0: Mm -hmm. And conceding only, scoring 16 and conceding three goals in five games in the Champions League against the teams that, I mean, Sporting has scored 12, mm-hmm. uh, Dortmund only five and Besiktas only three. But damn, conceding only three goals in the Champions League, not bad.
1: Well, this is it. And I think it's something that like, it's the, the attackers are the, obviously the, the, the players that take the headlines, but the defence has been a real, is a real strength of this Ajax team. And in this week, we saw the return of Onana, right? He finally... Kind of came back to the Champions League. He was in goal for them again, so that was great to see. Um, was, he, but, was he sober this time? He was not <laughs> high on any drugs. I, don't have, I, I think his wife, his wife's hidden all the medication. Maybe. Oh, nice, um, good, good, good. That was his. That was the official line, right? I think. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, so great to see him back. Great to see Haller absolutely killing it. I Ajax through. But the story here really is. Borussia Dortmund have yeah. absolutely shat the bed here, but they've done it against a sporting team that are really looking very good. So their manager, Amorim, they played, they paid a lot for him, right? They got him from Braga, and I think they paid roughly 14 million euros for him to buy out his contract. And everyone was a bit kind of questioning it at the time. Well, since taking over, he's ended their 19-year title drought and got them to the knockout round of the Champions League. So he's doing a pretty good job. But we do need to talk about Dortmund and how, like, in the Bundesliga, they are still second, one point behind Bayern. So there's, like, a bit of a title race there at the moment. Um, But the Champions League's definitely not been their focus. And for Marcus Rosa, the manager... um, it just feels like it's not quite happening. I know, obviously, they've had they've had a lot of injuries, right? Haaland, um, Torgen Hazard. There's a lot of players missing. But I feel like it's been a really disappointing campaign from Dortmund. But maybe, being in the Europa League, they would definitely be one of the teams that you would expect to be like semi-finals, final, at least, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of, uh, I don't know, it's...
0: Uh... It's strange because it's unprecedented in his brief career until now, but things are not looking so bright in the magical world of Erling Haaland. Not going to the World Cup. Now that's official. Um, eliminated by a very doable Champions League group Mm -hmm. and also coping with an injury that has now kept him outside of the football pitch for quite some time. I don't know exactly how much, but I want to say like the best part of a month almost. I think
1: it's going to be like until it's going to be the new year before he plays again, I think.
0: Yeah, so things are not looking so bright for Holland, but hopefully Borussia Dortmund will be able to make a statement in the Europa League. Let's move on to Group D, where... <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you very much. We are Back on the big stage, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) we are over the little mental issue of not making it past to the Champions League round, to the Champions League group's of course, Inter won 2-0 against Shakhtar Donetsk at home. But then there was that moment when we had to wait. And I was just like, please, Real Madrid, don't shit the bed. Please, guys, either a draw or a win. Then I check my my app and it's like Real Madrid 2-0 just walking yeah. past the sheriff. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's <laughs> go. And next week, no, in two weeks' time, there will be the chance, hopefully, of making a big statement before the round of 16. Winning at the Santiago Bernabeu and qualifying as the first team in the group stage. Lots of talking points. Lots to of then get points. PSG. You know that would happen, right? And we would fucking better. <laughs> Poor Akimi, I feel bad for you that you had to leave the club to go join those mugs up north. <laughs> but a lot of talking points, and I will start with one off the top of my head. I like this Inzaghi Inter. We were talking about it last night with the boys in our mm-hmm. the Football Chat group And we were kind of seeing how maybe the entertainment value, like the names, are not as exciting as last year, including the manager. I'm thinking about Lukaku, Hakimi. But this team feels more like a group. The goals are coming from different players. And there is one especially that is not making me miss Lukaku. This person is, of course, Edin Zeko. Now... For his first goal, he starts the play in front of the defence. He opens up beautifully with a give-and-go to Perisic, then runs the entire pitch. At that moment, Inter were really, really pushing. We already had like seven shots on target. There is this loose ball. And the Swan of Sarajevo just comes in, hits a rocket, it's in the back of the net. One nil. You wanna make it two? Six minutes later, he makes it two, two nil. We are through to the round of sixteen. And another player that I needed to give a huge shout out to is Ivan Perizic. Now, oh, Ivan I love Perisic. him.
1: Honestly, I love
0: him. Ivan Perizic. Conte met him and right away was just like, I don't know about this guy. I don't think he can offer what I need on the right flank on the pitch. Why don't you go on loan to Bayern Munich? The guy does. He goes to Bayern Munich. He wins a treble at Bayern (laughs) Munich. He wins the fucking Champions League. (laughs) comes back. And the amazing thing is that Conte he usually doesn't change his mind. When Mm. he's got an idea, that's it. You cannot change his mind. But Ivan Perisic was one of the players that was able to change Antonio's mind. He made his way back in the team. Last year, when we had that streak of results that won us the title, he was always the starter. And this season, he's simply on fire. Every single play in last night's game passed through his feet. I'm super Mm -hmm. happy about this achievement. Super happy for Simone Inzaghi. Who is the manager that uh, stats in hand has scored the most groups uh, the most points for Inter Milan in the group stage? Ever since we came back four years ago, so wow. huge achievement, huge achievement. It's what crazy because
1: well, this this is it? Because Inzaghi he managed Lazio in the Champions League last year, right? But they did not do well at all. They did go to the round of sixteen,
0: though against oh, by your munich
1: through didn't they yeah, yeah
0: against by your munich and then they just
1: they mm, didn't. yeah play okay games. yeah 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 so it's interesting i think it's yeah we're, we're kind of learning about inzaghi oh i'm learning more about inzaghi because i didn't really i don't watch last year that much i think inter do look a bit more um is it more exciting now i don't know i feel like it's a bit more solid maybe or maybe it's a bit revisionist now but I like that you pointed out Perisic and Dzeko because I think they're just two players that are massively underrated. Dzeko has been underrated since he was in the Premier League. Like, I was just looking up his goal-scoring statistics. For Man City, he scored 50 goals in 130 games, and people still didn't think he was a good striker. Then he goes to Roma, and he scores 77 goals in 168 games. Granted, he had that one season where it was Ed Dzeko, like he Like, he couldn't hit a barn door, but... I don't get how people keep disrespecting this guy. He just gets goals. That's what he does.
0: That's what he does. No, it was because of that season. Well, I mean, mm. there is a video that I saw recently on YouTube, which is five minutes of Edin Ed Zeko missing sitters. And it was it was woeful to see man. He was very frustrated. He wasn't playing with confidence. And he kept begging mistake after mistake after mistake in front of open goals. So I think mm. that a lot of people they have a meme in mind when they feel when they think of Edin Zeko. But the people who understand football this summer, there were, of course, on social media, since everybody's given the right to speak, there were a lot of uh, people saying, Oh, Zeko at Inter, blah blah blah, you guys are gone, like Lukaku, you replace him with Zeko but the people who know they were just like they got him for one million and it's yeah. paid in the zeko this Absolutely. guy does <laughs> one thing for a living and that's bag yeah. goes one other thing that i like more about this system andre inzaghi is that last year when we were attacking it was very very clear how the attack was working mm-hmm. you had lautaro martinez running like a dog around lukaku But then the ball would always get towards the middle. Lukaku would kind of slow down the play, and then there was somebody cutting in from the back. But it was like that over and over again. Not very exciting. I like the incredible movement that there is now when we are attacking. And also... I'm very glad that Caglianoglu has found his feet again, because on his day, he's an incredible player. He had a bad run of games and then turned all of that around with that penalty against AC Milan. Became became a fans' favourite again after this summer's transfer window. And it was beautiful to see him jump alongside the Inter supporters and Bastoni and Barella after the Napoli game, when we were singing Kino, Salta Rosso, Nero. (laughs) Only three interplayers were visibly jumping, and it was Cagliano-Holu, Barella, and Bastoni. (laughs) So, very happy about this result. I listened to the game on the radio, I told you, and there is something about listening to the games on the radio. It makes it exciting. I don't know. I don't know. But in the same group, we have Real Madrid with a very comfortable win against Sheriff at home. They make it, sorry, against the Sheriff in Moldova. They make it 3-0 with goals from Alaba from a free kick that was, however, deflected. by. He had Kendrick. some help
1: with that one. Yeah, definitely. A
0: beautiful goal by Kroos the Mate. entire play. This is when he scored only 10 goals in his entire Champions League career. But he's yeah, one of yeah. those players that I think once he retires, people are going to be like, okay. Legacy the cross legacy because this guy has been at a top level constantly mm-hmm. for the past eight years. I want to say,
1: I feel like he gets forgotten all the time. He gets like that midfield of was it uh cross Casemiro and um Modric Modric? Just people don't appreciate how good that midfield was. And, Kroos, and these that are still was,
0: they're still playing. Yeah. I mean, it was their starting lineup. Last night, and then of course, who could score the third goal for Real Madrid if not Benzema? I was looking at the highlights. I was watching the highlights, and I was like, "Okay, we can do it. We can beat this team." And then I see the goal by Benzema, and I'm like, "Ah, there is always that fucking like <laughs> yeah. that fucking Joel, that that Joker in the sleeve, that yeah. the, the ace in the sleeve that they've got. He's always
1: there, always there."
0: So Inter and Real Madrid are both through. We can find out only in two weeks who will qualify as first and who will qualify as second. Tommy, prediction
1: now. Prediction
0: now. We win that game 1-0 and we go through it first. Boom. There we go. Let's move on to Group E, where Bayern Munich make light work, lightish, I would say, because we are used to seeing Bayern Munich score more than two goals and win by more (laughs) than one goal only. They it make was pretty
1: difficult conditions. I'll be honest. It was. It looked the, cold as fucking Kiev. It looked so
0: cold. Did you see that? Uh, Lewandowski had an untied uh, shoe when he scored uh, his goal. <laughs> really, I,
1: I missed that.
0: He probably did too. He didn't even realize the guy can <laughs> score with his eyes closed. The goals are by Lewandowski and Koman. Uh, Another player, Koman, who's been at Mm. Bayern doing well for the past years, there was a moment when he wanted to retire from football because he said he had no more motivation. I guess that could happen when you play for Bayern Munich. (laughs) Also, I think
1: he has the record hasn't he now I need to check this I think he's won the league title every year of his career yeah yeah. So yeah he won yeah. it at Juventus PSG and Bayern right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a pretty good career but the Lewandowski goal was a bicycle kick as well we need to reference that Tommy
0: it was yeah 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 sorry beautiful
1: I, beautiful I bicycle kick with
0: an untied shoe just to top it off <laughs> yeah
1: and but... then, towards towards the end though Kiev came into it and had a few chances and Bayern Munich Neuer made a few mistakes I think the ice and the cold was getting to him a little bit but Bayern Munich obviously efficient as fuck and just got the job done 2-1 win easy the other the, the other team struggled a little bit more but
0: the big question is the following are Bayern Munich going to play full speed in two weeks time against Barcelona or are they gonna kind of play the reserves and let them try and go through what do you think
1: I think Bayern don't have an off switch. I don't think they even consider it. I think they're just like... I
0: think they are not capable of turning off the switch. They don't know how it works. What do you mean, play badly?
1: (laughs) They played a full-strength team in the DFB-Pokal when they got beaten 5-0 or whatever it was. I was like, oh, this is going to be a B team. Oh, no, that's the first 11. Okay, right. Like They don't put out B teams. They just put out the first 11 and go, you play for this club, you play for this club. And for Barcelona... That is not a good sign because it has been a slow start for Xavi. They scraped undeservedly a 1-0 win against Espanyol in his first game. And then they laboured to a 0-0 draw against Benfica. A game in which, if it wasn't for Seferovic only being able to score for Switzerland, they would have lost 1-0. Seferovic missed an open goal that in the last minute that honestly beggars belief. It was unbelievable. Definitely a slow start for Xavi. I saw a great picture of him. It was like, what was it, five years at Al Sad? And he looks young, he's happy, he's smiling. It's like 18 days at Barcelona. He's just gray, pole faced, like miserable. Like, oh, Xavi, you've got a big job on your hands there. You've got a big job.
0: My favorite thing of the Barcelona Benfica game was Arujo for Barcelona, Araujo. Scoring the winner at the 86th minute, he proceeds to celebrate sliding into the pitch, injures himself, and as the medics comes come on, there is a VAR check and the goal is disallowed. <laughs> and I was just like, yes, Barcelona, that's that's what you deserve. You're in and the mud.
1: You're in, in the mud. <laughs> yeah. and,
0: and you see the guy just like, already feels like an idiot because he got injured, but then he sees his goal disallowed. <sighs> now, Benfica need to win against Dinamo Kiev uh, in 2 weeks time they drew their game against them uh in the in the first fixture nil nil this time around they needed to win it and hope that Bayern Munich will go full speed against Barcelona and i think they will How funny would it be to see Barcelona in the Europa League? I'm waiting for that. I I would be
1: so glad. For once, I'm glad that Arsenal aren't in the Europa League because we've been knocked out of the Champions League enough by Barcelona. I couldn't face being knocked out of the Europa League by Barcelona. So I'm glad we're not in it this year. And then we move on to Group F, where there might as well have been
0: the game of the week. Young boys, the least appealing name in world football. Score three goals against Atalanta, but so do the Nerazzurri from Bergamo. It's a 3-3 draw. As our friend Reed rightfully observed, it could have easily been 5-5 or 6-6. It was an incredible game, full of entertainment value, but where does this leave Atalanta? Atalanta are currently third in six points, and young boys are last on four. In two weeks' time, Atalanta are going to play Villarreal, and if they want to go through, they need to win that game and overtake the Spaniards, who are sitting second at seven points. Now, about this game, I will ask you too, Rory, what was your favorite goal? But for me, there is nothing better than the more free kick. The guy is subbed in. Cop Miners is ready to take the free kick, and you see Muriel just walks to him, taps on his shoulder, and says, I'll take it. And Cop Miners says, oh, okay, you're in. He goes away, and he puts it to the near post and makes it 3-3. The first ball, he hadn't even touched the ball before that. He just, like, the ball was already set down. He just took a step back, boom, goal in. Great news for Tommaso and his fantasy football team. Murelli's is back. What was your favourite goal, Roy? It
1: was a beautiful goal. I'm going to say the second one from Atalanta. Was it Pasalic who scored it? No, Palomino. Palomino, Palomino. Palomino was a beautiful goal. Ooh. Absolute thunderbolt from what I remember. Just smashes it. Um, thought but that was a great goal.
0: Hefty, I believe, for young boys. The third goal. Man, mm. he just like, ball on his feet. Just like, progresses towards Atalanta's box and just... Rocks it in the net. That was beautiful as well.
1: Why can't Atalanta keep hold of a lead? <laughs> Why can't
0: they do it? I don't know. I, I have no idea. But I'm every
1: getting... game they're winning, and you're like, "Well, that's not going to last long." <laughs> like, we can see it on the horizon, like the helicopter coming <laughs> over the horizon. You're like, "Oh, here it is." Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Do you think? They, do
0: you think they have a chance of going through?
1: Um, I think they still. Uh, they have a shout, but they need things to go their way, right? They're playing Villarreal last game. That's a big game. And um, their
0: calendar is not looking pretty. Juventus away, Venezia at home, Napoli away, and Villarreal. These are all in the space of two weeks. So definitely uh, deciding days for the Bergamaski.
1: But what, what we do know is that Emery actually wants to be in the Europa League. So Villarreal are going to get that third place because Emery just wants that Europa League thing. That is his competition man. Forgot Except about when he's it. At Arsenal.
0: He was seen celebrating last night after the two nights ago after the defeat to <laughs> yeah. Manchester United. One step closer to the objective <laughs> boys. Yeah. But Rory, I think look, I just think that we we need to do it. We don't have the time in this episode, but we need to have an Oli special because this guy gave us so much entertainment and now he's gone. And we kind of like just said, Oli's gone in the previous pod, but we needed to like work on a, on a nice epitaph and thank him for all the times that he's made at his giggle and everything. He's gone. Seeing Manchester United with Fletcher on the sideline, just it's not the same thing. Do you miss Oli?
1: Uh, yeah. Because now it looks like United are getting Ralph Rania and getting their shit together, and that I, nothing terrify, nothing terrifies me more. Like nothing terrifies me more. Um, honestly, I feel like Oli has been like Fred for the first goal. Fred actually presses someone for the first time this season. I think <laughs> forces a mistake for Ronaldo to score, and then Sancho finally gets his first goal for the club after after Van der Beek scores in all these final game. I think Oli must just be going. You bastards. Could you not have done this a little bit earlier? Why did you wait for me, for the nails to be in my coffin before you did anything? Um, But United get a 2 nil win. They're on the way. This weekend, they've got a really difficult fixture. We're going to get onto it. We'll see if this new interim manager bounce will actually take them, uh, how far it will bounce them. But they should be beating Villarreal, really, but it's still a very good win.
0: I think I didn't I didn't watch the game but it all came in the dying minutes of the of the match and if it wasn't for a bad bad pass by the Villarreal goalkeeper maybe Manchester United wouldn't have gotten the win but also Yeah well, it we- was
1: from what I sorry from what I saw the whole game they were pretty pedestrian and then that that mistake but Fred forced the mistake right it was a bad pass but Fred was there to put the pressure on, got the mistake, and Ronaldo's always going to put those away. So fortunate as ever for United. They always seem to... I feel, I, I'm sticking with my thesis of United are the luckiest team in the world. They're just the luckiest.
0: I have to say one thing that I found very funny. My friend Leroy, he's has discovered the magical world of betting until he also breaks his hand, punching a wall one day in the future. <laughs> but he's been on a tier ever since this summer. He's been betting like crazy. He bets on everything and anything. And it was like, I was on a break at work, and I kind of looked at the live games, and I saw Villarreal Manchester United 0-0 at the 75th. And Edge was just like, "Huh, I'll check in 20 euros on a Ronaldo goal. Three minutes later, checks his phone and Ronaldo scores. He <laughs> was just like, there is no easier bet than when Manchester yeah, United are yeah. nil-nil. Just bet on Manchester United scoring. <laughs> and also, first goal ever in a Red Devil shirt for Mr. Jadon Sancho. Finally, we are happy for you, Jaden. But let's move on. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Let's move on to the hipster group G. Group G, where everything still can happen. I love that Lille are leading on eight points after defeating Salzburg 1-0 with a goal by David. They are followed by Salzburg at seven. And then Sevilla third on six points and Wolfsburg fourth on five. Everything can still be decided. No teams have guaranteed access to the round of 16. The next fixture for Lille is going to be away at Wolfsburg. They drew nil-nil the first time that they met and then of course Salzburg are going to play at home against Sevilla. The last match day is going to be an exciting one in this group.
1: This is going to be one of those where you get the live table during the games with all the fluctuations. I always love that. I, I don't
0: know if I don't know how it works for UEFA, but I know that in Italy on the last match day they all play at the same time and a few years They voted Mm. against having the results shown at the stadium in order not to influence the players' performance. We wow, shall see. I assume
1: but, they would have to play at the same si- at the same time. But yeah. to be honest, this group does have the kind of feel of one of the early kickoff games that they just want to get out of the way. You know, the games they put on early when it was really that bothered. And also, it just kind of have that. Feel. And also,
0: I'm praying this is the group. Here I say it. I want Inter to draw their opponent for the round of 16 from this group.
1: It's not going to happen now, Tommy. I know, it's, know it's not right going to happen. I know it's. it's <laughs> I know
0: it's going to be PSG. I know it. I know it. I know it. I know it. And I know that Riccardi is going to play and. It's Going to score a goal and blah 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 blah. But then, Group H Malmo and Zenit they draw 1 1. But the big result is in Stafford Bridge, <gasps> ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> where Juventus find out that uh, Europe is different from Italy and the uh, referees whistle way less than they do in Italy. And sometimes you get to lose 4 0. Love to see it. Juventus were never in the game, and if it wasn't for Chesney's two or three saves in the second half, it could have been a way worse mm. scoreline. The Italian media battered them for, one, for, for the first time in so long. I kind of saw that the narrative was like, these guys are embarrassing and I mm-hmm. love it. Did you watch the game?
1: I, <laughs> yeah, I saw parts of it and it, was, it wasn't it was pretty. It was not pretty. I feel like, uh, you know, I saw a great meme that was like, you know, that the meme of like, is that uh that guy just sat still, it's like my guy hasn't moved for 45 minutes. It was a picture of Allegri just my guy hasn't moved since 2018. <laughs> like he's been left behind so quickly. And in Europe it is getting like obviously we said this group was a fairly routine group after Chelsea, right? Juventus should be qualifying from this group. So it's not been it's not been difficult, but the second they faced a decent side, they've been absolutely slapped. And you feel like even when they get to the knockout round, no matter who they get, even if they get someone from Group G, right? And uh, that sounds harsh. Those teams aren't bad teams. What I'm trying to say is even if they get someone of the, in quotes, easiest draws, I would not fancy their chances. They're not doing well in Serie They're doing worse in Europe. And 4-0 is embarrassing. That's embarrassing. And
0: let's not, this is their only um, 4 0 loss over the past uh, six years. They've had two, one against Roma and one against Chelsea the other night. Um, What I think is interesting is that Juventus were kicked out of the Champions League, respectively, by Porto last year and the year Mm -hmm. before by Lyon. So we know that even Lille could put them in dire, dire straits. But of course, both Chelsea and Juventus are going to advance. Juventus are going to take on Malmo at home on the last match day while Chelsea are going to travel to Russia to play against Zenit St. Petersburg. I believe Chelsea are going to finish top.
1: Yes, Rory? Yes, undoubtedly. I think they definitely will. But we need to talk about Chelsea as well. Like This was a hell of a performance from them. Their defenders, again, coming yeah, up scheme, key. That save on the that line. That clearance on the line. But Reese James gets another goal. Chalaba gets the opening goal. <laughs> their defenders cannot stop scoring. It's a bit ridiculous. Um, the bad news for Chelsea is that Chilwell's picked up a pretty bad injury. I think I heard somewhere he's out for the rest of the season, which could be huge for them because he has been massive. He's one of their top scorers, if not their top scorer. Um, and he's been huge. So that could be a big miss for Chelsea. But what a performance. Do they even need Lukaku at this point? Like... I don't know if it'll be I interesting think it would to how they do. He slow things come back.
0: down, and they're a team that likes mm. to play fast. They like to play yeah. on the counter. And man, one thing that I loved, that I loved after the Hudson Odoi goal, was seeing their celebrations. They, I was looking right now, I cannot find it. They're at the average age of their squad, but it feels like a very young team, mm. Chelsea. Yeah, it is. And man, the celebrations! It felt like just like this bunch of bros, just like mm. let's yeah, fucking yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. they're a very good team. I I I still think they're the favorites, together with Bayern and Liverpool possibly, and the Inter Milan of course to win. Of course, of course. At yeah, the end yeah. of the season, one thing, two things that I have to say about the goal scorers. Um, do you think it's a coincidence that ever since I called Rhys James obese James last year? He's picked up his form, and he's actually started... Man. Uh, man, he's, he listens he's to ridiculous. He He's ridiculous. He's ridiculous. He hated me calling him obese, James. I was doing it to motivate you, Bud. And yeah, you're welcome. Thing, and another thing that I have to say, Chaloba, you have the fucking ugliest haircut I've ever seen <laughs> on any football player, including Gervinho. Dude, chop that shit. Come on, I don't know. No, get it. it's, it's
1: the Sanya look, man. I like it. Nah, it's all right. No.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I think I I want to see a little change, but class result for It was a great goal
1: from him as well, by the way. That was a great goal. And
0: I I really like the player. Just every time I see that hair, I'm just like, even in the NBA right now, you see some crazy, crazy haircuts. And I'm just like, guys, I don't know. Just like make it something simpler, I guess. But we have a very long weekly topic that you're going to find out about very soon. But first, we have to preview this weekend's fixtures, both in Serie A and in the Premier League. Rory, if you don't mind, I will go first. Go for it. Serie A, Serie A. Ah, my fantasy football squad is absolutely depleted. The spine of my team, Crisito in defense, out injured. Zappa Costa on the wings, out injured. Ozzyman ouch, out for 90 days, apparently. They had to put six steel plates on his face after the injury that he picked up against screenier and 18 stitches. Man, that just sounds
1: bad. Yeah, well, it gets a bit grim. I heard that his, and I, I'm sorry for any squeamish listeners, that his eye actually came out with the socket.
0: I dude there is I was thinking about that thing because there is the picture of him walking out of the pitch. You see his eyebrow is completely lowered and there is like a weird bump on the side oh. of his eye. So Oziman, best of luck, but let's break down the games can Cagliari fucking get a win this time they have Salernitana it's just like You're guys not, okay you have you, to. you have to Salernitana they they're actually not better run than Cagliari because they've won at least one game again they did so against Venezia in their last five while Cagliari it's just all red boxes and the gray one on their last game against Sassuolo so Cagliari come on boys You can do this. It's a Salernitana. These two teams are fighting for survival in Serie A. Spoiler alert, Salernitana are not going to survive. But Cagliari, (laughs) this pod thinks that they... Everybody thinks they've got the squad to do it. Yet, they have won only one game this season. This is on Friday night at 8.45pm. And then get ready for a Saturday full of football. We start with the good food derby, I want to call it. The Tuscany derby Mm. that sees Empoli... Take on Fiorentina. It's going to be played at 3 p.m. Fiorentina have just defeated the undefeated AC Milan in their previous game, and uh, they are kind of start and stop this season. But they are doing better than they were in the in the previous seasons. They're sitting comfortably seventh at 21 points, and they're starting to set their sights on European football. So I think this is going to be an exciting game. Also. Uh, since I predicted a few things in the last uh, uh, episode and then I guessed them, I think that Saponara is going to score against again against his old team. Then we've got Sampdoria at the same time taking on Ellas Verona. las Verona, one of the releva- revelations of this year's Serie A, undefeated in five games, and they've defeated uh, across these five both Lazio and Juventus, and they overcame uh, Empoli with a last minute goal in the latest match day. Sampdoria maybe picking up form after three consecutive losses. They defeated Salernitana 2 0 in the last match day, and they're looking for their form to continue. They're currently only three points above the drop zone, and then 6 p.m. Juventus take on Atalanta. Interesting game, this one. A A rematch
1: of the Coppa Italia final.
0: Yeah, this guy, Duvan Zapata, just can't stop scoring, can't stop assisting, and I don't think that he's going to stop against Juventus. Juventus come from a defeat, of course, that we just talked about at Stamford Bridge. Before that, two consecutive wins in Serie A, two nil against Lazio and one nil against Fiorentina. Uh, Atalanta drew against Young Boys, but before that, two consecutive wins against Cagliari and Spezia. It's going to be an interesting game. I'm predicting a draw. What do you think, Rory?
1: I'm going to say Atalanta beat Juventus. I'm going to say they pile on the misery for uh, the old lady. Uh, Maybe that's just wishful thinking, but that's also my prediction. And
0: it all wraps up on Saturday night with Venezia taking on Inter-Milan. Can Inter continue on their beautiful streak of results? We are undefeated since October 16th when we played away at Lazio. And then on Sunday, we've got Udinese Genoa. Genoa desperately looking for points, but also coping with injuries all over the pitch. Caicedo, Destro and Crisito still out for this Uh, match day and then at 3 p.m milan sassuolo usually a game with a lot a lot of goals i'm just looking at their recent results and uh, yeah over the last three games that they've played both teams have always managed to score at 3 p.m we also have spezia taking on bologna and then at 6 p.m a game that i think is going to be very interesting roma against torino Torino have picked up their form. They've defeated Udinese 2-1 after a 1-0 loss against Spezia. They are sort of like Verona, a little bit start and stop. They tend to win a game, lose the next one, win a game, lose the next one, while Roma are looking for continuity. Roma is one of those teams that every game, you can either see something very pretty or something very ugly. Right now, it seems like they are on the beautiful train, so hopefully that keeps going. and then. Maurizio Sarri travels back to Napoli. He did so last year and lost against Napoli on the Juventus bench. This time, he will be sitting on the bench of the Bianco Celesti. Napoli still table leaders together with AC Milan, but this time without their top goal scorer, Victor Ozyman. Let's also remember that Napoli just picked up a loss in the Europa League against Spartak Moscow 2-1. And apparently it was not a pretty game. So hopefully for them, they can turn their luck around in Serie A. But hopefully, for Inter, they don't, because we're only four points behind, looming in the horizon like a hungry shark. And I think we are ready to jump to the Premier League.
1: The Premier League, well, it gets kicked. It all kicks off with the it greatest team in the world. Off. It gets kicked off. It gets kicked off. That works. It gets kicked off. Yeah. Yeah, it's a passive. Yeah, it gets In the passive, off. exactly. There we go. It is Some kicked t- off by. Some hot teacher chat there for you listeners. Um <laughs> It all gets kicked off by. I'm sticking with it. Um, Arsenal taking on Newcastle on Saturday at half past one. We need to get this Liverpool defeat out of our heads very quickly. And we need to do it. We have to do it against the Newcastle team that are still, still looking for their first win of the season. It's looking very grim at St. James's Park, if you're not looking at the bank balance. And hopefully, Arsenal can pile on the misery I'm going to be a little bit confident here and say we should really do that. Um, Then on Saturday, that is followed by Liverpool taking on Southampton in the first of the three o'clock kickoffs. Southampton used to be Liverpool's feeder team, not so much now, but Southampton have been struggling a little bit. Liverpool, we've seen them back on the horse now, back on form. I I reckon Liverpool should get all three points here, despite Southampton recently improving. Then another 3 o'clock kickoff on Saturday, we have Norwich. Two wins in a row for the Canaries. Can they make it three in a row as they take on one of the surprise packages of the season this uh, and still going under the radar? They take on Wolves. Wolves are currently in sixth place. Three wins in their last five. We've talked about Huang. Great signing. Their manager, Lager, is doing a great job. Nobody's really talking about them, but they're causing a lot of problems Norwich, on the other hand, like I said, won their last game, the first of Dean Smith's games in charge. It's all looking quite tight down there at the bottom, so a three points would draw them level um, with Leeds United in 17th place, so a big game here. I'm still going to say Wolves get the job done. Another straight-cut kickoff we have is Crystal Palace taking on Aston Villa. Aston Villa, again, getting their first win in a while in Steven Gerrard's first game, uh, first game in charge. They're down in 15th. And they're taking on Palace, who find themselves up in 10th, unbeaten in five, two wins in their last five. And Patrick Vieira really enjoying life up there. I'm never going to get bored of saying Patrick Vieira doing a very good job. Love to see it. Aston Villa, they need to keep this form going. They'd obviously lost their their last four before Gerald took over. So they need to keep their form going. I think this could be a pretty good game. Both both teams have been involved in high-scoring games recently. So I could be one to keep an eye on. Then we have. Off the top of your head, any famous uh, Gerard Vieira fights? No. Oh, I feel like maybe they disagreed a few times. I feel like there was definitely a few. There was definitely a few feisty Liverpool Arsenal games. Um, one is kind of coming to my mind now. Maybe Vieira and Gerrard did have a bit of a scrap, but obviously with Vieira, it always I just see him and Keane fighting. Like Keane was his main enemy. Gerrard was just to the side. I think. Yeah. Right. Uh, (laughs) Sorry.
0: Sorry for the interruption. I was just. No. 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 That's a
1: good point. But yeah, two like two of the Premier League's greatest ever midfielders. Now on the now on the sideline, that'd be nice to see. And definitely makes you feel old when you remember watching those players in their peak, right? Yep. Oh Christ, time is a cruel mistress. Um good. Then we have Tommy, is things aren't gonna get easier for your favorite boys. I know. They take so Brighton, the not so mighty Seagulls now, um, who are now down in ninth, having not won in their last five take on Leeds, who granted, or not in great form either, they're down in 17th, only two points above the relegation zone. They've been a little bit improved. They were unlucky, arguably, to lose against Tottenham last week. Um, so could they pile on the misery for Brighton? Or can Brighton take this opportunity to turn their form around? I'm going to say Brighton gets something here. I think Leeds, they're suffering from that. I, I don't know if you have the same thing in Italy, but we call it like second season syndrome. So when a team comes up and does really well in their first year, the second year, they usually struggle. And I feel like Leeds are kind of going through that right now. About the
0: second season syndrome. No, I've never really heard it in uh, in uh, in Italy. Uh, no, off the top of my head, I've never heard the Italian translation to that. But it might as well be true now that I think about it.
1: Second okay, because it's kind of like a regular thing. Like when teams come up... They like have that season where nobody really knows how to deal with them, how to play against them. And then the second season, they've kind of been figured out and then they start to struggle a bit more. And I feel like Leeds are definitely having that this year. So <laughs> Leeds will be fine. They will stay up, but I do hope Brighton get something and turn their form around. Then the, fi- the penultimate, no, the final... That's the last game on Saturday, half past six. (laughs) My God, I'm all over the place, guys. Then we move to Sunday, two o'clock kickoffs. We have Brentford versus Everton. Everton haven't won in five, four losses and a draw. I feel like Rafa Benitez is going to be hounded out of this job sooner or later. It really does not feel like it's going well. They take on a Brentford who have made life difficult for a lot of teams. They are only... Two, three places behind uh, Everton, down in 14th. They also haven't won in five, though. One draw um, last weekend against Newcastle, of course. So this is two teams not in form. It's like two bald guys fighting over a comb. I don't know who's going (laughs) to get the point. I don't know who's going to get the point here. But it could, again, could be an entertaining game. Brentford do play. Lovely football. Everton, not so much. Then on Sunday at 2 o'clock, the game of the day. One of the games of the day for Sunday, we have Man City taking on West Ham. Now, I feel like West Ham's record against Man City in general isn't great, but this is a different West Ham team now. It's changed. It's a new day. West Ham can definitely, they're not afraid to take them on. We know how they're going to play. City are going to be tired from midweek. A big game against PSG, right? That was not one that you could just coast through. Can the Hammers take advantage? I think there could be a slip-up here. Um, and West Ham could get a draw, but then would you really be surprised if City slapped them 4-0? Not really. I think that could be a really entertaining game.
0: I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them battering the Hammers. However, given the season that the Hammers are having, it makes for high entertainment value, I think.
1: Exactly. Then we have again at the same time we have Leicester City versus Watford. This is of course the fixture that had that great moment with the penalty and then the miss penalty and then the last minute goal. It feels a long time ago now. But Leicester are down in twelfth. Really, really not doing well. Brendan Rodgers, um, in their last three games, they've lost two, drawn one, really not in great form. Watford. Obviously, he's fresh off the back of a massive win over Manchester United and ruining everybody's fun by getting Oli sacked. Can they continue the form? Can Ranieri get them a bit more breathing space above the um, relegation zone? If they do, they will leapfrog the Foxes and go up into 11th. So a big kind of mid-table slash relegation battle there. Leicester kind of getting sucked in. It is weird to see that. Brendan Rodgers really not going well there. Then we have Burnley versus Tottenham. Um, Burnley are such a confusing team. They are now scoring for fun. They are not playing the same football that they always did. Just the classic long ball agricultural. They're trying to play football a bit more, and it's kind of it's nice to see. Tottenham, we've seen, have had a pretty positive start under Conte. Um, so I think he will be looking at all three points here. But Turf Moor is never an easy place to go to. But finally, we have definitely the game of the weekend. Sunday, half past four, Stamford Bridge, Chelsea taking on Manchester United. I think this could be a bloodbath. I think this is going to be a big game. Like, you can you can bounce through a 2-0 win against Villarreal when a, a goal is given to you, but Chelsea are not going to take any prisoners here.
0: I think this game is going to have a lot of goals, and I would if I was a betting man, I would bet uh, on Chelsea either winning or drawing, because I can see Manchester United making a bit of a... You know, when there is a new manager, you make two good results in, in a row, and then people start singing, David is at the wheel, and all that type of stuff. So I think that they might as well get a point here, but again... Out of 17 games across the Premier League and the Champions League, you know how many goals Chelsea have conceded? Is three? Five,
1: no, five? five? Five
0: total goals in 17 games. So, good luck back in, begging that one, Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't think it's going to be that easy.
1: Yeah, I think this could be one where the... Uh, <laughs> Brought back down to earth. I don't know how like up in the air United fans are after a 2-0 win over Villarreal, but I feel like this could be another reality. I feel so like they United, constantly
0: need to be reminded. where Yeah, they are. As,
1: as often as possible. And honestly, the bigger the defeat, the better, because next weekend we play them. So I really could do with their confidence taken a knocking. I really, really could do with it. Um, so I think this is going to be... It could be ugly for United. But again, as always with United... If they win, you wouldn't be surprised. But I feel like it would be just a slap in the face to Oli if they go to the Stamford Bridge and get a win. Now, if I was Oli, I'd be suing them for like, what is it, malpractice or something? Like you have not done your job, hundred like, percent. Yeah, but and and that's, and our that's our weekend. That's our weekend. That's
0: our weekend of football across Syria and the Premier League. Now it's time to jump to our weekly topic. We are joined by friend Luca, and we're going to talk about well, just listen on right.
1: Let's do it. And here we are. It's this time of the week and this time of the month for the weekly topic. And we are joined again by Luca. Luca, how are you, mate?
2: Always good. Always good. Ciao, guys. Ready to talk about uh, our great city,
1: Milan. So so this week, the topic is something that I think Uh, Tommy... Is very very excited to talk about, and we're going to be talking about the Marotta dynasty and the Moratti
0: dynasty. Moratti, what? sorry,
1: the Moratti dynasty what? and what they have achieved for Inter.
0: Definitely. So we, I was kind of happy. I was actually very very happy when Luca came through with the idea of talking about. What we think is the only dynasty, if we are wrong, you guys can slide into our DMs, the only father-son dynasty to win as many as three Champions Leagues. Of course, two were the Champions Cups and one was the Champions League. But we're going to talk about our city. We're going to talk about the Moratti family, Angelo Moratti and Massimo Moratti, the two teams that have won the international trophy, the continental trophy. And of course, we're going to start the story back in the day, back in the 1950s, in the great city of Milan. Milan, le un gran Milan. Before we start, I want to say something, and I think Luca might agree with me. So, Milan, AC Milan, is considered the team of the class worker of the it's con, it's con, it's uh,
2: the working <laughs> class, the working the class, the working
0: class, exactly the working class team. While Inter Milan represents a little bit the team of the higher bourgeoisie in Milan. The thing is that when we think of the city in Milan, the reputation that the city of Milan has in Italy. In Italy, there is the the idea of the Bausha as the citizen of Milan. Who is the Bausha? Now, if you want to know who the Bausha is, you just have to look up a picture of Massimo Moratti. The Bausha is the Milanese entrepreneur. He's always got a cigarette in his mouth. He talks about business. He's got this Thanos voice a little bit. He's a little bit cocky. He feels a little bit superior to all the others. So I think that... For this reason, Inter Milan really is the team of the real Milanese, if that is the real Milanese. What do you think, Luca?
2: But, uh, first of all, the thing this we have to remember that this you know idea that uh, Milan was the working class team is a very very, very old idea. This was at the very beginning, and this was true. there are facts saying that the AC Milan supporters were mainly coming from the working class. But this uh, eight years ago, nine years ago, this changed, bit, especially for me during the Berlusconi era, because Berlusconi exactly. uh, is not a Bauscia like uh, like Moratti. But you know the, the idea of a working class club changed. Also, imagine if you remember Berlusconi how he wanted to play the style, the high class, and all this uh, and all this stuff. So it changed. Of course, I agree with the fact that Massimo Moratti. If you think of Milan, because you know Milan is also a working class city but mainly it's a business city and uh, and of course moratti is the moratti is number one eh? moratti moratti son we're talking about massimo is the is the perfect example of the you know stress man that uh, that never sleeps that uh, only thinks about works and, uh, and and money and business and how to make more money and uh, i agree i definitely agree and also, it's a bit, you know, Massimo Moratti Massimo Moratti is funny because if you talk with people in general, they, there is this idea that Massimo Moratti was, um, was not a successful man, you know, uh, yeah. there's always this joke. Yeah, he spent a lot of money, he's just a supporter, he's not able, he could have won this and that. In my opinion, it's not exactly like this, It's not, you know, 100% true. Of course, we, we will see, he could have won more concerning football, eh? but of course it was not a, it's not a failure. Guess,
0: eh? there, was, there was a bit of the legend and then I know Rory has a question, but there is a bit of the rumor that we will see what uh, area of business the Moratti family specialized in, but there is the feeling that he was given Inter as a bit of a toy because he was the least smart of the family and so they were like, let's give him this little thing, this little treat to take care <laughs> of and we take care of the real business. But Rory, what did you want to ask?
1: Well, that almost starts to answer my question. So, I was going to say, for our English listeners, maybe they're not quite sure of what the who the Moratti family are. Where did so? Where did they get their money? How did they manage to take over the club? And was it just a present to his son? Because I wish my dad had given me something like that. I'll be honest. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, the the um, the time space between the father presidents and the son is very very huge. Mm-hmm. So there is a. There is a ocean of things that happen in in between. So it it was just the the son, the uh, Massimo that uh, had this idea to 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 buy to buy again okay. the the team. Uh, so there was this, uh, yeah, there was this space uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, in between the two. Um, but, but we will see. Yeah, we will see. But go. Tom is right. Tom is mm-hmm. right. Uh, if you think of Moratti, in Italy, it was always like is this you know this idea that he was using because he's a supporter that's the first thing he was the owner but he's also the the first supporter he still says he's the first supporter and i think he still helps eh? in a way there is still this uh, when 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 a president or when a coach or when someone inside the club needs uh, needs help they they call him and he and he tells uh, what to do how to do uh, so he's, he's still there he's present so this is again if you think, for me at least, if you think of Inter Milan, you think of a family mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. than AC Milan. This is for sure. The way that he treated some uh, some players. If you talk to some player like Ronaldo, he's always grateful. He's always saying that uh, without mm-hmm. Moratti, he could have stopped playing. and many, many, Adriano, the list is longer. Eh?
0: But so let's go back to the very beginnings. Let's See. go to when Angelo Moratti, who was born in 1909 in Somma Lombardo in, uh, in Italy, he starts uh, making the first moves uh, in the world of business. And we're going to find out that the business is oil, the black gold, of course. Classic. ladies Classic. and
1: gentlemen. Are you are you the original oil club? Is this what it is? The original yeah. petrol dollars? Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely, definitely. The original petrol dollars <laughs> in Italy are the from the Moratti family. So Luca, do you want to to tell our listeners see, how the uh, adventure started?
2: Yeah, let's start with the, with Angelo Moratti, which is uh, the father. Uh, just to be. Precise and short. Angelo Moratti is one of the most important men and businessmen in the history of Milan, eh? in the recent history of Milan. There is no doubt. Imagine that the square outside the stadium is, is recently named Piazzale Angelo Moratti. So uh, it's not something that you Casual. obtain. Yeah, exactly, by chance. So um, Angelo Moratti. Maybe it's not as Bausch as uh, the sun, but uh, it was the, the typical businessman. I you know, in imagine Italy after World War Two. So imagine a country completely damaged and destroyed by the war, a war that they lost, so a place where uh, a place of, of magic, you know, where uh, there, there were in the sense that everything was uh, like far west, everything was uh, was possible. And uh, Angelo Moratti is the typical uh, man from milan imagine that the father if i'm not wrong uh, was a pharmacist in, uh, in piazzale fontana next to next to duomo so already you know already an iconic place it's uh, someone like this cannot have a, a marginal story a man like this for me yeah uh, so exactly he was he was very clever and he started his, his business in uh, in uh, Petroleum, as you said, uh, exactly the first uh, petrol dollars. Yeah, because Angelo Moratti was a typical example of man that made that made money and and prestige, and his name is linked to the oil refinery system. Uh, easy as that, because he was the he was the very first man to introduce it in Italy and to which, distribute it uh, on a large scale, which with, uh, with still the,
0: which still exists. The Sara's company is, uh, is a very big company in uh, based off Cagliari, close to Cagliari. They have a huge oil refinery and... It's the, the biggest
2: Mediterranean refinery, yeah.
0: Yeah, the biggest Mediterranean refinery. And just this is a recent thing that happened after COVID. Massimo Moratti, of course, the Moratti family is still the owners of the Saras company. Mor- Massimo Moratti apparently personally gave money to all the workers that were laid off during the COVID. So you can see that, again, there is this thing of, okay, we are the owners We are the people who make the big dollars, but at the same time, we really respect the work that is done below us. Also, because you will confirm Angelo Moratti worked his ass off. I was reading his biography on Wikipedia. And he's one of those people that, you know, before the war and during the war, you kind of have to... Italy was not a super developed country, and he had a lot of brilliant ideas. And he got in petroleum with making a bit of money here and there at first, and then understanding that it would be a very profitable business. But see, how did see. he how did he approach Inter Milan, Luca?
2: For sure, he was uh, he was a capable man, and uh, because he did uh, so many jobs, and uh, he was always able to to run a business and to have a, to have a company to run a company is not is not something easy um of course then we go to the to, to, to the part that uh, that we're interested in which is the the fact that he, he became president for 13 years uh, from 1955 to 1968 um, of the club uh, let's say that, that represents the his city so this mm-hmm. uh, this is already something. It is one of the first example of pers of a businessman who wants to invest money in football. That's mm-hmm. he, he saw that football was uh, another possibility, another chance to make more money. Let's say brutally, to to invest his money and to and to have a profit. Being also a supporter, because of course he 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 was a, a Inter Milan supporter and uh, uh, one of the most representative men of of the. Of the history of this club, um, so we go in detail to the to what he did for this club because uh, the this team uh, during those years was uh, is also known as Grande Inter. Oh yeah, Grande Inter, which is uh, like Grande Torino, if you if you know the the story of of the, of the Grande Torino. So is this team Grande? It means like. Powerful, we can translate. Powerful, strong Inter yeah. or whatever. It was great, yeah. great, great, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. great. Yeah, great. Uh, because it gives the idea of uh, again a great team uh, who won a lot and uh, who will be remembered forever. But again, as I said, even if you talk, if you go to Milan and you talk to people, this Grande Inter, it's mainly, in my opinion, eh, it's mainly forgotten. Young people, they don't know the story, they don't know the years, they don't mm-hmm. know the, the people. It's something for, it's something if you go to a bar and you meet an old man, they know. But if mm-hmm. you talk to to young people, yeah, Angelo Moratti, yeah, something, it's something a bit forbidden. This, I think, mainly because uh, I don't know, I don't know why it happened this, but maybe because AC Milan was so successful in Champions League, so everyone forgot what uh, what what was done before. Yeah, can they, be, kind stole,
1: they kind of stole the limelight a little SC, bit in Europe because, right. uh,
2: because they played so many finals and they won so many championships. But this is a story to remember because it's true that AC Milan was the first Italian team to win the Champions League. But we will see that Inter Milan in those years was uh, probably.
0: Of course, we are, we're, better. A, we're we're, we're Portland, making we're yeah. making we're making we're marking the difference between the Champions Cup and mm-hmm. the Champions League, which came in the 1990s with the reform. SC of Gentlemen, the four months. So when uh, when Muratti uh, purchased, he became president and owner of Inter Milan. Inter Milan were quite a successful team in Italy. They had won as many as 7 league titles and one Coppa Italia. But that was it. At European level, they were a force, of course. They were playing, they were competing at a high level, but they had never win the silverware. They had never won the Champions Cup. And here comes a new president, a new owner with very clear ideas and a great manager. Because when we think about Grande Inter, we think of another household name, HH, that for once doesn't mean anything related to Nazism <laughs> or fascism, but it relates to... I've just seen
1: Buffon's ears have perked up somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs>
0: Buffon all of a sudden was like, did you say HH? Did huh? you say 88? What? No, we're talking about Helenio Herrera, nicknamed El Mago, the magician. Right, Luca?
2: see sí. Helenio sí, Herrera is the... Sometimes when you, when you think about this period, probably... The name is even more uh, important than the one of Angelo Moratti because Eleni Herrera is the is the myth, is the symbol of this uh, of this great team. Uh, named Il Mago, honestly I never understood why because we will see that that team he was super strong but it was not exactly you know culture champagne. So may I think? Yeah, exactly. I think it was mainly for the results he he got.
1: Well, uh, this yeah. is, and I, I could be wrong here, this could be where the kind of Catenaccio was coined or created, right? Was that under Herrera? Exactly. exactly. It was not created yeah. by Inter Milan because it was created, believe it or not, by Salernitana.
2: But the maximum, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, but the maximum expression of uh, of Catenaccio, uh, which, by the way, wherever you go now and, and you say you are, uh, you are from Italy and you talk about football, they all name Catenaccio. Eh? Mm-hmm. In course, each yeah. country have been... Still, there is this name, you know, and everyone mounts catenaccio, catenaccio, so but it's good. It means that they did something good. But otherwise, no one will uh, we will remember, no. So,
1: well, we I'll, I'll the... tell you one thing: when I when I <laughs> tell people I'm from England, they don't instantly talk about a football tactic that sums up football from England. So <laughs> you've done better than England already by you know you've got that trademark.
0: Let's say that Inter Milan were the first successful team that made use of the catenaccio, the first international, the team that made the catenaccio international. What is the idea behind the catenaccio, Luca?
2: Very easy, uh, very easy to tell and easy to practice. Catenaccio basically means that uh, you never concede a goal, and when you have a few chances, you score a goal. So very strong defense. uh, very difficult to to penetrate, and uh, if you have two chances during a match, maybe you score one or two goals, and by doing this, you you win. Uh, which, if you say it now, of course, is a bit like, eh. but if you think uh, six years ago, it was something a bit revolutionary because mm-hmm. uh, it was difficult to play against, and we will see, especially in, in uh, one of the two finals that they won, that was uh, something, yeah, revolutionary. And, so, uh, yeah. under
0: under Moratti and Herrera, Inter would win the Grande Inter. I'm talking about this sort of like team that has a reputation of its own. Inter would win three league titles in 1963, 65, and 66. Two back to back Champions Cups, 1964 and 1965, and the international and two international cups, 1964 and 1965. So we are going to focus on the uh, international uh, competition because we want to highlight the fact that this is the only legacy fem- uh, father and son that was able to win two international continental trophies. So how did these successes come about, Luca? What were some of the household names in the Inter team see, at the time? If
2: you if you see the, the lineup of the Grande Inter, you will see some names that, uh, even if you don't know about the story, are some legendary names both for the history of the team and for the history of the of the national team because we have facchetti burnich uh, mazzola uh, or even uh, Luisito suarez which is the, the original suarez which is the only spanish player who won whoever won the the ballon d'or the mm-hmm. yeah so the Palone d'oro so these were some of the corso is another name that uh, is. um it's always in the, in the, in the, in the history of, of the club. And, and, since you uh, mentioned,
0: S- and since you mentioned the names, I have a quote from a, a, a book writer, Eduardo Galeano, who wrote a book called the Splendori e Miserie del Gioco del Calcio in 1997. And there is a quote from the book that says Sarti, Burnic, Facchetti, Bedin, Guarneri, Picchi, Jair Mazzola Milani, Suarez Corso, Allenatore Herrera. Which other lineup, so many years after its life, is more impressed in any football fan's memory than this one? So, at the time, it was really the team. Big household names in international football. In international football, we're talking, of course, about Federazione Calcistica Internazionale. And let's focus on these Champions League wins. And Luca, I will let you go.
2: See the um, so as we said the team was amazing the idea was revolutionary it was uh, a road to success in fact after they won the, the first uh, scudetto of the Moratti uh, period let's say uh, they which was the number eight uh, they participated for the first time to the to the old Champions League which as we said was was different so only the the champion of every of every country were participating so it was shorter Uh, in a way for me it was more difficult because there are no easy game like now that can adjust you know a group or something so uh, it's um, it's the first uh, it's the first time that they the first Inter Champions League uh, Champions Cup it was amazing because they, they they beat Monaco Partizan Belgrado and Borussia Dortmund uh, they were all defeated by by Inter Milan, and they and we arrived to the to the final, uh, which was played in Vienna against Real Madrid. Now Real Madrid of that time is uh, still now one of the best team ever existed in the in mm-hmm. the history of football. That game uh, Inter Milan against Real Madrid was not only, in my opinion, it must be included into the. 10, yeah, let's say 10 most important games ever in football mm-hmm. because, just imagine that uh, that Real Madrid was playing with strikers Di Stefano and Puskas. Mm-hmm. I repeat, <laughs> Di Stefano and Puskas. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, to win against that team um, is something legendary. And it's a pity that, that. If, again, I repeat, if you ask people now, they don't know. They don't know about, in Milan, eh? not in... Uh, in Europe or in South America, in Milan, if you ask people, young people, they don't know about this history, but this is amazing. And um, yeah, that result was the the first uh, Champions Cup for for Moratti, for Inter, and of course, you know, it was the 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 um, it was important to win because Milan already won, uh, was already in the Albo d'Oro of the of the Champions League because they won the year before, 62-63 against Benfica. To win, to be the the second Italian team to win a Champions League right after uh, Milan, you know, it was was something amazing. Uh, And we will see that they will repeat the the, the hereafter, exactly the hereafter. Again, oh, uh, the, one important thing to mention about the the first Champions League is that Inter Milan was the first team to win without losing a single game in the in the Champions Cup. Never lost good. a single game. In I was the going to say, yeah, yeah. I amazing, good. eh? Uh, amazing. There's
0: there's nothing better say than it. sitting down and listening to the great deeds of your football club before you were born. Beautiful. Please continue. So this is the. Does first... do not ever
1: make you feel gutted that you missed it? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's a long time. <laughs> not even my well, my father was very very young. I don't, I'm not sure he remembers this. But we talked about my grandfather being a football journalist in an episode last year, and these these he remembered perfectly with friends with Facchetti and all these people. But let's go to the second success, back to back Champions League wins for Inter si. Milan.
2: Uh, we have to say that the next year they win again the Scudetto. Uh... And it's a very important year because it was the only time in history that we had the spareggio scudetto. It means it's like a, it's like a, yeah, it's a final to to decide who we win, and it was Inter against Bologna. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a memory of the past. Uh, it's the only spareggio scudetto yeah. of the of the history of
1: Italian mm-hmm.
2: football. They played in uh, in Rome, and Inter won 2-0. So they were. Oh, sorry,
1: why did it end up as a playoff? Was it just level on points, level on goals, and then? You, you know, thinking? at that
2: yeah, at that time there was no. It's not like now that when you arrive uh, at the when you arrive at the same level at the end of the year, you decide with the goal score yeah, or no the yeah, yeah. difference. So it was just like another game. Okay. It Happened many okay. times. Okay. Italy. If you if you remember when in '68 when Italy did the the, the final of the Euro Cup, they mm-hmm. drew and they repeated. So yep, it was not yeah. something uh, strange at that time. Basically, because they had no no rules, <laughs> there was no yeah, yeah. there was no options. So there was no record
1: keeping. <laughs> exactly. <over laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they did, the next year. You... Yeah,
2: tell me.
0: No, sorry, I was I was imagining a conversation back in the day. Hey, did you did you write down who scored the goals in the previous game? Oh, shit, I lost a piece of paper, dude. I swear to God I had it. I don't know where it is now.
1: Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how Pele's got himself to like 2,000 professional goals. Just <laughs> yeah, by people yeah, not yeah. writing down who scored.
0: <laughs> like... I kept the track of my own goals, you yeah, guys. have yeah. got to believe me. But so let's move on to the second Champions League win, Luca.
2: See, si. uh, so next year 64 uh, 65 Champions League and uh, um, this time it's uh, it's really like you know it's really the end of a story because they the Inter win the one the, the second Champions League um, consecutively and the final was played in Milan in San Siro mm-hmm. against Benfica so this is another another thing to at least to know. Because, uh, you know, to win the, the Champions League on your own field, on your own pitch, is uh, is something amazing. They won against Benfica, which, by the way, uh, for those who don't know, Benfica at that time was uh, was one of the best teams ever. Eh? They already won two Champions League and they lost another final with uh, AC Milan. So Benfica, together with the Real Madrid, was, was one of the best teams.
1: Well, in, in, I'm, I'm just looking, in this final, of course, Eusebio played. So you've managed to like win two finals against Pushkas Di Stefano and Eusebio. And in this final, it was 1-0. So the most Catenaccio result ever, a 1-0 The win. most Catenaccio ever, yeah. with, with <laughs> Jair, who
2: scored, another iconic name for, uh, for Inter Milan uh, story. But it's important also to mention that Inter Milan is the first Italian team to win a Coppa Intercontinentale. Uh, which basically was um, the winner uh, of the of the Champions Cup against the winner of the Copa Libertadores, which is the South American uh, version. Which at that time uh, it was very difficult. It was very difficult. First of all, because football was more or less at the same level. There's not such a difference yeah. like now. And also because it was uh, the formula was that there was a an away an away and home game. So you had to go play in, in, in South America with, you know, in during the 60s with many, many flight hours and going to some some strange places, knowing nothing about the other team, the other country or the other uh, state, yeah, whatever. And uh, and Inter was the first one to to win this trophy, so to to take this trophy to, to Italy, which is something that uh, that is amazing and is history. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. my my
0: grandfather followed this uh, the the first intercontinental cup win. I've got a record here at my house. I talked about it. It's I treasure it. It's about the Grande Inter, and uh, there is uh, he's uh, commentating the game. He's broadcasting the radio that they're playing in South America, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, I remember him telling me that. Uh, the interplayers were expecting a bit of, they were a bit afraid about traveling to South America because there were rumors that the fans were absolutely crazy and everything, only to travel eventually to Argentina and to find out that people were absolutely in love because the majority, Argentina, is like the Italian colony of South America. And so when they arrived, they were expecting mobs, people like throwing stones at their boss but they just received these people that were just like, oh my god, La Grande Inter is here and everybody was claiming I'm Italian too, I'm an Inter fan too and so they, they were actually very excited eventually to play to play those games
2: Nice, and they won um, so Inter wins two Champions League in a row and two Coppa Intercontinental in a row um, against the same opponent which was Independiente mm-hmm. um, So imagine during this golden era of Angelo Moratti, you know, you arrive to a point that you win uh, everything and and this comes to an end. Because we we will see that slowly, of course, Inter did not disappear or failed or whatever, but slowly... lost the this this magic and also lost the this part of success in champions league because we will see that for many many years inter to be honest did the uh, badly in-
0: And let's not forget that probably, now I don't know the details of why Moratti sold the club eventually and he stepped down from the presidency, but let's not forget he was an able businessman. So he probably understood "Mm, maybe there's not as much money to be made here anymore. In the long run, it could turn out to be a bad investment which is the opposite of what his son would later do with Inter Milan. So very quickly, look, I will go through in one minute, not even. After the Grande Inter, the 1970s were the years when AC Milan started picking up pace again, but especially Juventus. Those were the years when Juventus Mm -hmm. started winning big time And from the 70s to the 80s, Inter Milan went through a very bad spell. A very bad spell, both in Italy and both at a continental level. Until here, here, a certain Massimo Moratti, son of Angelo, decides to take up the presidency of the club. It was on February 18th, 1995. So... What is the start of this new Moratti adventure like uh, in Milan and for the team, for the club, Inter Milan?
2: Basically, the story, you know, it's, uh, it's, it repeats because it's the same. He's a businessman, a uh, successful businessman, of course. He sees the chance to, to make more money, to invest his money, part of his money, in football. And um, Massimo Moratti is a is a supporter, is number one supporter of Inter Milan, we have to say. Uh, He dedicated a big part of his life life to to this club. Um, And in my opinion, um, this is just my opinion, but you can imagine growing up with a father uh, successful man like Angelo Moratti. With, the, with the, the name of this family, Moratti, which is important in Milan, know, uh, with all the success that the father did, uh, I think for Massimo was not easy to grow up in this uh, in this atmosphere because imagine the father is so successful, you want to imitate, to do the same or to do better. Uh, so I think that uh, since the beginning that he bought the the club, he had this idea to win the to win the Champions League. He had this dream to be, to not repeat, but to do something similar to the, to the Grande Inter. Uh, and now we will see with Tommy that the, the, the man of Angelo Moratti's in Milan, you know, when they talk about Moratti, there is always this, you know, people laugh. They say that uh, he was not good. He was not able to, to use this money. He spent a lot of money for shit players. He did nothing right. He never won or at least he won nothing compared to to the team that uh, that he had. Tell me your idea, Tommy, but uh, I know that Moratti for sure for Inter Milan fan is like a, is a legend. You know, he's like a father. He's like the good father that everyone wants to have. But for okay. the others, when we talk about Moratti, the majority Just... of the people laugh. So Moratti, I
0: was reading right now, as personally injected in the club personally out of his pocket, apparently it is estimated that he has put 735 million euros of his own money for the club's sake. So when you talk about somebody really being the first supporter, I think that that title is earned. Just to let you know something about how Inter Milan fans, the hardcore ones, Feel about Massimo Moratti. Of course, if you're a friend of the pod, you'll realize that somebody's missing in this conversation. Our good friend Michael. If Massimo Moratti is number one fan of Inter Milan, Michael is a second. When Michael was working as a waiter in a Spanish restaurant in Milan called the Tapas, um, he had a dream one night. And the dream was that Massimo Moratti walked in the pub, but it was full attendance, all the tables were full. And Massimo said, hi, Michael, I would like to have a drink. Michael looks around frantically in his dream. He doesn't see any chairs. And so he goes down on his knees, puts his hands down to the ground and says, Massimo, you can sit on my back. I'm not making this up. <laughs> Michael really had this dream,
1: but Michael. I'm glad is... it ended there. I'm glad it stopped there. He only yeah, sat you... on his back. That's fine. <laughs> I, that I can. When I can you... confirm. It, it's true. He's true, and he's... When true, you said, said he so got, so got on trials, the ground, though, I was worried about what was <laughs> going to happen.
0: Yeah, no, no. When I had to then clear, I wanted a second of suspense. He went down on his knees and then put the palms down. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is just to tell you and the many many Inter Milan fans. Whenever there is Moratti at the stadium, the speaker says, Massimo Moratti is here, round of applause from the entire stadium. The Inter Milan family really values what Moratti did. But the problem is that it became a sort of joke because he was spending so much money. He was buying the best players in the world, but Inter Milan could never win fucking anything. There was this joke when I was a kid Of uh, I don't know if you remember this joke, Luca. I'm taking you back on a trip down memory lane. But there was this joke about uh, the children at an elementary school. They have to make a presentation about what their father does. And so there is the little kid that goes to the whiteboard and says, ah, my dad is a postman. He's a mailman. He delivers mail. He does this and this and that. Then there is another one who comes and says, ah, my dad is a taxi driver. My dad does this, 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 and that. The other one comes. My dad... uh, He's a blue-collar worker. He works at a factory. Blah blah blah. Goes to the seat, and then it's like Johnny, why don't you come to the whiteboard and say what your father does? And he's like, uh, my father. Uh, my, my, my father is a stripper at a at a gay club, and uh, he he's a stripper and uh, and a drug dealer. And he goes back to the seat at the break. The teacher goes to the kid and says, Johnny, uh, do you want to talk about your family and what your father does? And he says, No, Miss. Please don't worry. I was just ashamed. My dad doesn't really do that. He's just a player for Inter Milan. <laughs> so that was the the point that it got to. Because Inter Milan, always the best team on paper, Ronaldo, Recoba, all these big ass names, but no trophies in the cabinet. Is this accurate,
2: Luca? See, si, see, si, see, si. but I imagine that uh, back in time, um, everything, even, everyone, even the comedians, I remember Aldo, Giovanni, and Giacomo, they were making jokes that they, the one was supporting Inter Milan. You know, it was like a, there was always this uh, these people laughing because uh, they were not able to, to win. Now, uh, to be honest, if you check back in time who were the opponents, you can also tell why they were not winning. They were not playing. It's not like now. Huh? So, Uh, It was really tough to win uh, against that Juve, against that Milan, against that Roma, against that Lazio. So Parma, Fiorentina. That was
1: like, but that was like the peak of Serie A. That was that was when like all the world class players were playing in Italy, like every single one. Yeah. See, so.
2: This is a partial, you know, motivation, let's say, to, to defend our poor, uh, Massimo Morati. But it's also true that he was playing like Fanta Culture, you know, like fantasy football. He was like, Oh, I like this one. No, I, I buy, I buy. Doesn't matter mm-hmm. if he doesn't fit or if he's, uh, or if he's, um, crazy or if he has problems. I don't care. I like it. I buy. It was like a, a personal affair for him. So, uh, Again, there is this period that uh, they don't win. Simply, they don't win. There, there are no trophies. Let's say this: there, there are no trophies for Inter Milan. But uh, again, you know, this we said it's a it's a successful story. We go back to the year uh, 2010. But before we year. have
0: to say that Inter Milan still managed to win two UEFA Cups under the Moratti presidency.
2: See so, exactly. Uh, In uh, the end, they, they were not that bad, you know. They were not just winning as much as they could, let's say. And
0: then when they could win, we've already covered the episode last year, uh, the 5th of May, 2002. I mean, that one is the biggest joke ever. You've got an entire stadium supporting you. You've got Ronaldo, you've got all these players, and you managed to lose 4-3 and hand the title to Juventus. But, Luca, before we get to 2010, I have to say, against my interest, that... Moratti was running low in time because it was like all these investments. Still, no Champions League. That was the obsession we could say, but we can cover it very quickly. That everything started turning around with the Calciopoli scandal when Juventus were relegated to Serie B. Inter Milan got a few of the Juventus players, namely Ibrahimovic and Vieira. It
1: definitely helps when one of your biggest competitors is no longer there, right? That does definitely (laughs) help.
0: And then the the faith starts. The faith starts turning around. And in two thousand nine, Inter make a big statement, and Massimo Moratti brings in Mourinho. And here, I mean, the special one. And here we can start drawing the parallels of this very strong bond that there was between Angelo and Elenio Herrera, and now we've got Massimo Moratti and Mourinho, the special one. Also, Mourinho, at the first press conference that he ever did in, uh, uh, in Italian for Inter Milan, the first question an interviewer asks him, can you speak any Italian? And he says the most Milanese thing ever. He says, non sono pirla which is Pirla, is a typical Milanese word. It's like Milanese dialect, and it means an idiot, uh, no good, uh, a um, a mug, right? Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm no mug, but in the most Milanese way. And (laughs) immediately he wins the heart of all inter supporters now, the first season, uh, he didn't mean he didn't manage to win the, the uh, he managed to win the Scudetto, but we were knocked out, uh, at, at the round of 16 from Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the next year, things turn around, and unfortunately, Luca was in Milan with all of our friends, he witnessed it firsthand. While I had to watch, I had to skip school in Minneapolis to watch the Inter games in the Champions League. And so I wasn't in Milan. But so what happened that year? How did Inter Milan manage to repeat the success of Angelo Moratti?
2: But first of all, I'm glad that you mentioned that uh, everything started with the Calciopoli because, uh, you know, it's not that easy to admit that because of this, Inter started to to win uh, year after year. But we have to admit, it was not only because of this, but partially because of this. Because the in that period, the the main uh, the main opponent was Roma uh, for Inter, which was a good team. Eh? But uh, again, with all the signing that Moratti did, with this new era era coming, you know, with uh, everyone. Uh, <coughs> doing stuff in tribunal and interplaying like uh, with no problems it was easier let's say and then of course the second thing is this uh, Mourinho Mourinho signing um, that for me I will tell you right now I don't like I don't like Mourinho I think he's one of the most over-evaluated coach in football no doubt. Okay,
0: agree to disagree. Let's move on. <laughs> no, and the other thing that we have to say is that the year that we won the Champions League, a summer transfer changes everything. Zlatan Ibrahimovic doesn't want to play for Inter Milan anymore. <laughs> he publicly states that he wants to go to Barcelona to win the Champions League there. And apparently the scene, what the legend says, is that the Inter Milan, the the heads of Inter Milan were sitting down. Okay, uh, Barcelona wants Ibrahimovic, wants to go there. Let's draw up a nice plan. How much money are we going to ask? Can we ask for a player on the other hand? And then apparently a fax comes from Barcelona and the fax reads, we want Ibrahimovic and we're going to give you Samuel Eto'o and 30 million euros. The Inter Milan heads immediately look at each other and they say, put a fucking signature on that paper <laughs> right, we, now. right now. <laughs> right send it back. Make sure it goes through. The deal is done. And with that money, Inter buy the Serie A top goal scorer from the previous season, Diego Milito, had to head with uh, Ibrahimović. From Genoa, right? From Genoa, yeah, together yeah, yeah. with Thiago Motta. And on the last day of the summer transfer window, Wesley Snyder from Real Madrid. So a new look team is assembled. Ibrahimovic is gone, but now up front, he's replaced by Eto'o and Milito. So a star of international level with a guy who's established himself in Serie A football. And how did that Champions League campaign go, Luca? Take us through it.
2: See, sí, uh, but you know, coming back to to the team and to the coach, uh, I think it was the perfect uh, combination because uh, Mourinho, you like it or not, but we have to admit that he's able to to create uh, this atmosphere uh, like going to war, you know, like we are mm-hmm. alone against everyone. And in this period, again, where uh, there were basically no not no competitors, but less competitors in Italy, and with it's such a great team. With such an amazing, uh, you know, campaign, you sign uh, Milito, what a player! Reto, you know, legends it was the perfect combination to to win. Uh, so they they this Champions League 2000 uh, 2010. I have to I have to say this. I remember because we were yeah Tommy was not there, but we were all together. I never had the, the I don't know every game. I was like yeah they will win this. They will not win the other one. They will not win the other one. You know. But game after game, they were going through. Mm. we have to admit this. I remember the game with Chelsea. I was sure Inter Milan was going was not going to pass, but they did it. Uh, I remember this there was this game in the group stage with the Dinamo Kiev, which is uh, which is probably one of the one of the most important game. I don't know Tommy, how many times you you watched it. And and I tell the story and then I will tell you where I was. The ga- they game with Dynamo Kiev, that basically because a combination of results, Inter was already out and there uh, were just a few minutes to to, to to the 19 minutes and uh, they needed to score and then they scored. But then they risked again to, to draw, but then they score again and they pass. This game really was like, a was unbelievable. Eh? I think it's when you win a game like this. Hey, eh, it's, a, it's a sign. It's a sign that you can uh, that you can go till the end, eh? in my yeah. opinion.
0: That was our uh, fourth match day, and we were playing against si. Dinamo Kiev, and I remember uh, that uh, all of a sudden we are drawing nil-nil, and all of a sudden I'm outside, and I see the result. At the time, there wasn't really internet on the phones, and somebody tells me, I'm like, can you check the score? And they tell me 1-0, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, fuck, we're out. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. Can you check the score again? And there is this friend of mine, Evan Finley in Minneapolis, who is like, oh, what has changed from 10 minutes ago? And I'm like, I don't know. In football, anything can change. He checks the score again. Inter 2, Dinamo Kiev 1. And when that happens, you know that something is in the air. The game against the Chelsea, as Luca said, it was also a nice storyline. Ancelotti coming back to the San Siro to mm. punish his old opponents. Of course, he was the AC Milan coach for a very long time. Then we played a round of t- fixtures against the CSKA Moscow, who at the time were the champions of Russia. And then the big, big semi final against the best team in the world, Barcelona, which we win 3 1 at home. And to this day, I don't remember ever seeing the San Siro like I saw it that night on television. It was unreal. And then we have to go to Barcelona and win, try and keep the result there. Thiago Motta picks up a red card uh, because Busquets is the best actor, arguably, in the world. Uh, And then we play, I think there was a statistic in that game that we crossed the Inter Milan, crossed midfield only twice. But there, in that moment, Mourinho channels his own Elenio Herrera from the depth... (laughs) and uh, and manages to win that game, Eto was voted by Gazzetta dello Sport not only the best player in the pitch, but the best defender in that game. And for a player like Etto to fully buy in the, the, that defensive mentality so much, it tells you how much of a leader Mourinho was. And now, Luca, I will ask you, but when we went to the semifinal, to the final, sorry, in Madrid against an incredible team, like Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich had had an incredible run. They had kicked out some big names of the Champions League, but the overall feeling was that the game was already won by Inter Milan. Is that the feeling that you had in Italy as well?
2: See, easy, easy, absolutely easy like this, because uh, there was something that, uh, you know, there is this moment when you you realize that... I had exactly the same feeling, that... There was not even need to play. Uh, as said, I was sure the Inter was not passing the group stage. They, they did. I was sure they were not going through with Chelsea. They did with uh, CSK Moscow. I was like, yeah, maybe. With Barcelona, I, I was. I think I even bet. But it was completely deserved. Eh? The 3-1 and then the, the the return game again against that Barcelona. I remember the tiki-taka, all the stuff that you will never touch the ball. And they were also very. I remember. It was really like annoying. There was there was yeah, we I win four zero. You will uh, you will see, you you had, you were lucky in the first yeah, game.
0: Piqué had said it one of the most. Piquet said something before the game. This is the day we'll make Inter players regret of having Say, chosen football as a professional job. Yeah, it was. I was just it like, was what bad. are You talking about?
2: Yeah. Overall, it was bad, and it was completely deserved that Inter passed the the. To the final, and the final, yeah, I had exactly the same feeling. I was like, uh, "It's done." I don't know. I don't even the even the game. It was easy. That's but the, I the mean,
0: were only... were still. This is the memory that we have. But if you watch the highlights, uh, Julio Cesar had to get his gloves yeah. dirty in a few occasions against Müller, against Robben. That was the beginning of that Bayern cycle that we know. Uh, I remember they were playing with a forward named Olich that was having an incredible season. That's yeah, a yeah,
2: That guy was yeah. that guy was good, man. He was a good. It was player. very good, yeah. but the team the team it was amazing. It was good, but Inter was um, so good, but also so I don't know confident. Determined. I don't know how to Determined. explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that uh, it was. Uh, I think it was written. It was written. I knew everyone knew in Milan at least. It was for me. It was easy. It was already decided. In fact, when and, they won, I was not that that surprised. And uh, uh, of course, uh, man, the the, the CD, uh, you can imagine, eh? Because weather. it was uh, fifty years. I saw
1: it for the Scudetto. I can't imagine for the Champions League. Yeah, that was
0: fifty-five yeah. years. Yeah, forty-five. Uh, forty-five. Forty-five years
2: me. after the after the father. Again, now we come back. to mm-hmm. the, After the father won the Champions League. And uh, I remember Moratti admitting that this was his dream since he was a child because he wanted to do the same and he was dedicating the, the trophy to the father and everything. completely deserved. Because, you know, for me, I'm very easy. Who wins, always deserves. Oh, like nice. There's no, other, there's no other bullshit. Then you can find whatever <laughs> you want. But if you win, you deserve. Always, always, always. So and, this, for me, is uh, it was deserved. I, I could never imagine... Seeing this, the, but uh, completely, completely deserved.
0: Okay, I know the thing that I was saying is that I remembered that the day of the final, Gazzetta dello Sport, our main sports newspaper in Italy, in the front page there was Mourinho with a face mask of Elenio Herrera and said something like "mu file mago," like "mu acted the magician" or something like that. It happened. It was. Uh, Look, even for my father, my father was falling out of love with football. That was, it was towards that time that he started following less and less. But I remember he sent me an email. I was in the United States and it said, I hope that, like, uh, this is a great moment for you, that I passed these colors on to you and you you enjoy this. And then Michael, man, Michael, who is not a person that talks a lot about his feelings and emotions, he wrote me a long message on Facebook, I remember, that said, Tommaso, I was deeply upset you weren't there. I don't think I will ever live a day like this ever again in my life. I couldn't believe it was true. So many times I tried to pinch (laughs) myself because I thought it was a dream. The word... The city of Milan walked from Duomo Square to the San Siro for two hours, and in the morning, the players, drunk from the celebrations, they Mm. paraded the the trophy around the pitch. There is the famous picture of that Inter fan with a camera, with a digital camera, (laughs) just bawling out, crying, like no, I
2: keep saying no, I can't believe it, I can't. Michael Michael turns sentimental when there is this uh, (laughs) when there are these moments. He's like, oh.
1: It's the one thing he gets emotional about. Eh? See, see. <laughs> and before it's you're... rare. Eh?
2: It's rare to see, but if you have the chance to see it, it's uh, it's. A... Usually, <laughs>
0: usually, it requires a bit of alcohol. See, there whoever. is an help,
2: of course. There is the, <laughs> there is the help.
0: <laughs> but uh, one thing, Rory, before your final question and before we say goodbye to Luca, I once read a passage that was beautiful by comedian Paolo Rossi. He's an hardcore Inter fan, and he used to go to the stadium all the time with his mom. His mom told him on her deathbed, she was a hardcore Inter Milan fan, and she said, Paolo, if we ever do something big, please make me part of it. And he had a show that night in Milan. He had to postpone the show because he wanted to see the final. And after the show, he said that he started walking around Milan, and some people recognized him. They gave him a scarf. They gave him a flag. They said, Paolo, this is also for you. And he said... I had to make my mom part of it. And so he walked to Remembrance, which is uh, the big cemetery just outside of Milan. And he said, I was feeling a bit like an idiot, you know, like going to the cemetery with an inter flag just to put it on my mom's grave. And he says, and there is this beautiful passage, you can find it online, where he says that he walks in remembrance, and there are so many people with inter flags putting them next to the graves of their family that has passed away, Inter fans that couldn't be there. And he said that there were a few people that he looked at and they both smiled, that they put the flag down and then they walked away. So I thought that that just told you how much these hardcore fans really felt for that uh, trophy. But Rory, what was your question?
1: It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But ultimately, the, the question is... Who is the next Molatti that's going to own the club then? It needs to be, we need to wait a few years and it's the grandson, the great-grandson. Do you think they'll be back?
2: Uh, I think they, they will not do the same because... Uh, they,
0: they, you know, got change. they, got, they got into politics. changes. They got into politics in Milan a few years ago.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I don't think we will see the same stuff. It will be, it will be interesting, but uh, it's a risk. To be honest, eh? <laughs> it, it was good with the sun, and now to try also with the
1: just <laughs> with call the, it quits with another other yeah, member. Yeah. No. Oh, and by the way,
2: just to conclude, never forget that Inter Milan that year did the tremble. Uh. This is a very important thing. Eh? They did the tremble. It was the sixth uh, club in the history of football to do this, and the first and only Italian club to achieve the the tremble. Never forget this, eh? Because I remember yeah, you forget, talking, I
0: remember forget. you talking about AC Milan at the beginning of the season, zero tituli. I remember you talking about Roma at the beginning <laughs> of the season, zero tituli. I remember you talking about Juventus, zero tituli. Zero tituli is like. A very badly pronounced zero titoli, which is zero (laughs) titles. But Luca, this is particularly fitting that we're talking about this today because Inter Milan, after 10 years, qualified for the round of. Finally, what can you see them? uh, Can you see them going forward in the competition very quickly before we
2: say goodbye? See, of course. Now, uh, I think that the only limit they had was the group stage. I think that now whatever they will do, it will be easier than passing the, the groups. Because if, I think it was just a mental stuff. Not mm. They always had the chance to, in the past three years, they were always able to go through, but they never did it the first time. they, It was always their mistake, as always in football. But it was a mental one. It was not uh, um, a qualitative lack. So I think that now whoever will be the, the, the opponent, they, they, they can go through now i don't want to say they will go to the final but for sure they they can they can pass whoever is the the opponent there it will be tough i think if i were an opponent i would not like to have inter milan as my opponent in the draw that
0: that's what i like luca thank you very much for joining us today are you going to be back in milan for the holidays uh,
2: but I have to, I have to check. I, you know, I don't like to fly, so for me it's a big. Uh, <laughs> it's Luka. my limit. It's my group stage limit. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <But> <laughs>
0: Beautiful, Luca. Keep us posted, and we'll talk to you again in December Cheers. for another Italian football special. Thank you very much. Ciao, guys.
2: Ciao, ciao, ciao.
0: Bye, bye. And it's finally time for our customary one minute to kick off, and it's not actually time for that anymore, because Mr. Rory Criscuolo was crowned winner last week. Rory, we're going to dedicate this space today for a quick interview. Uh, How do you feel? Who do you dedicate this victory to? Last week, uh, we could tell you were tense after the game, you were celebrating with your family, but who is this for?
1: Um, I dedicate the award to myself for being such a genius when it comes to useless knowledge about footballers, clubs, and the game of football. It's all completely wasted space in my brain, but I'm proud of it. So I dedicate it to myself. Very arrogant. I'm going for the Zlatan approach. So what's next, that the supporters and your
0: fans are wandering the world over?
1: Well, right, what's up next is me winning the Scudetto with Verona in the first year of my FM save, because guys... I'm still unbeaten, and we just beat Milan three 0 at home. So this train is not stopping yet. That's what's next.
0: Wow, I didn't know about this one. I kind of missed out on the on the memo. I didn't see. I haven't seen the stream yet. But today, ladies and gentlemen, we have no quiz. Are we done with the quizzes? No, we're not. They're gonna come back, but. It's a pretty busy period is coming. It's Christmas and everything. And as you know, we like to work on a little bit of rebranding. We're always thinking about you. We want this pod to get always bigger and to reach out to more and more people. So we've got a few plans in mind and we need to dedicate our time to those. The quiz is going to come back with a different format and talking of which, guys, we need your ideas as well. Have you got any ideas for a new quiz? Maybe an interactive quiz with our listeners. We are open to anything and you can always slide in our DMs, both on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod and on Instagram at AngloItalianPod. But Rory, tell us a little bit also about the Football Manager save. When can uh, listeners find you online? What uh, is it on Twitch, on YouTube? Tell us something about it.
1: Uh, the, it's a good question about the timing. Um just keep an eye on our social media. I'm trying to do it when and where I can without upsetting the misses too much by just disappearing for hours on end um, and whilst trying to juggle it around work. I'm going to be aiming for one night a weekend. So that will either be Saturday or Sunday night because I can't do two nights out in a row anymore. I'm too old. So one night at least I will be at home to stream. So it will be over the weekend, maybe one during the week. I'm going to try and keep it regular. Um, we've done two episodes so far. We're seven games in. We've just got to the first international break. We're unbeaten and we've played Napoli, Atalanta, Roma and AC Milan. So we've had a very good start to the season. I spent next to no money, like one million. Um, It's all going a bit too well. It's going to collapse, but you're going to want to see the collapse when it happens. So definitely join along. It is on YouTube and on Twitch. I'll be posting about it fairly regularly on Twitter and Instagram.
0: Guys, so follow Rory's adventures as football manager, Alice Verona's manager, uh, the first uh, English football manager at Verona Football Club, I believe, I don't know, the city of Romeo and Juliet, don't forget. But that's it with our episode. Remember to also follow our sponsor at the Sports Club Maps. New giveaways are coming, we promise, but also it's the holiday season and you know that your boyfriend slash girlfriend is dying for that mug with a map of Italy and all the football mm. clubs that we have in our beautiful, beautiful country. It's time for our customary quote. Rory, anything to tell our listeners before I send them off? Have a good weekend, guys, and come and check out the save. And so who could we dedicate our end-of-the-episode quote is if not to man-of-the-moment Junior Messias? It's a quote by him, interviewed after the goal that saw AC Milan win at the Vanda Metropolitano against Atletico. I dedicate it to my family and friends in Brazil, but especially to those who have believed in me and who had the faith to bring me to Milan. I have had a different path to others, so I dedicate this goal to them. Talk to you on Monday night. Bye.